handle the truth. Should we or should we not follow the advice of the galactically stupid? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe fuck yourself. You're all a bunch of fucking assholes. You know why? You don't have the guts to be what you want to be. You need people like me. You need people like me so you can point your fucking fingers and say, that's the bad guy. Clearly, don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I am not in danger, Skyler. I am the danger. A guy opens his door and gets shot, and you think that of me? No. I am the one who knocks. episode of the righteous prick past i'm your host jl covan it is 11 a.m on august 30th in the year of our lord 2021 just finished an assignment waiting for a new batch of documents to look at so i thought why not do the podcast now lots of what's what's the word housekeeping is what people call it hello cookie lots of housekeeping to take care of before we just get into a few topics i'll try to make this episode painless and not depressing it's always the struggle because once I get into this confessional known as the Righteous Prick Podcast, it can go anywhere. But uh, lots of shows, including some new shows uh, on the schedule. Uh, this week, I hope to hear back from the venue in Salt Lake City that said they would book me. So I'm hoping to go out in November or December, coordinated around a, a, a couple of ja- Utah Jazz home games. So um, as always, if you listen to this podcast, I'm sure most of you won't heed this, but to the few that do, Obviously, um, with the erratic nature of social media algorithms as they apply to me, uh, if you're able to spread the word through social media or email to friends who you may have uh, enjoyed my content with, um, the more people that just see the show announcements, especially if you know somebody in the city, uh, friends or family in the areas that I'm performing, it helps because, you know, a year ago, I wouldn't need anybody's help. Uh, My reach was just fucking humongous. And then... Most of my tweets now sort of, you know, even ones that appear to be on viral pace after like an hour or two, you look back 10 hours and it like came to a screeching halt for no other reason than my account is obviously kind of half fucked. So, um, yeah, if, if you're, if you have friends or family, or if you're in any of these areas, obviously it'd be great if you could buy tickets, but I'm adding shows. So like I said, Salt Lake City, I hope to be able to announce sometime this week or next week. But uh, let's see, show's coming up, September uh, 10th and 11th, the Greensboro, North Carolina Comedy Zone, Uh, then September 26th, Philadelphia at Helium Comedy Club, October 6th, Good Nights in Raleigh, North Carolina, Uh, October 15th, 
governor, uh, no, the brokerage in Belmore, Long Island. And this is the one, even though I want everybody to go to the special taping, if you're anywhere near New York City, this is the one exception. If you are a Long Island person, um, just as good for me if you go to the Long Island show. It's the one exception I'll make. But um, because that is a booker that I'm trying to get more gigs with, so that has uh, real value to me. The more people we get uh, going to see me in Long Island, the better uh, it will be for my 2022 in terms of getting booked uh, by a booker of several clubs. So uh, if I have any Long Island listeners, um, and I know I have a few friends in Long Island, uh, if you have to choose, if you can only do one, I would tell you to do, I, I'm hopeful that New York City will sell well. Um, we still have almost two months before that, and tickets did pick up, ticket sales did pick up this week, so thank you if you bought tickets. But if you were a Long Island person uh, or far out in Queens or whatever, <laughs> uh, go to the Long Island show. If you have to choose one, if you can come to both, great. But if you have to choose one, uh, Belmore, Long Island at the Brokerage on October 15th, headlining there. So um, hopefully we can get some sales for that as well. Uh, then obviously the special taping, New York City, October 23rd. Um, Vaccination is required, like all theaters in New York, by the time uh, my special gets taped. So um, if that's a concern, I know I had a friend who asked me about it. If that's a concern of yours, um, it shouldn't be because everybody will be vaccinated. And uh, if you're not vaccinated and you're like, well, then I'm not going, that's okay because um, you're probably not a person that I would want at my show. Uh, you know, just speaking frankly, and obviously I'm excusing if anybody here listening to me is a, an immunocompromised person or something, obviously I'm not talking about you, but if you're out there screaming about freedom and needing more research, then we're probably, you know, you know, unless you're the world's greatest laugher, uh, feel free not to go. <laughs> but if you're the world's greatest laugher and anti-vax, um, please get vaccinated and bring your great laugh to the show. But yes, those are the shows, like I said. Oh, and uh, to all my Southern California people who have been uh, the most adamant about pestering me on uh, social media, <sighs> emailed the club Flappers, which I've worked a couple of times in Burbank, California. They have like a small room that fits like 50, and they have a big room that's like your normal standard comedy club size. So I wrote to them, gave them my social media stats, gave them the page-long feature in the LA Times about me. Etc., and they were like, Tell us your recent numbers from California, and we'll see if we can work something out. And I was like, Well, um, oddly enough, I don't have recent numbers uh, in LA because, um, not sure if you've heard, but there have been some issues with large gatherings and comedy club work since 2020. Um, and I told the person, I was like, I'm not, I'm, I'm certainly not looking to travel across the country to embarrass myself with a poor showing, but based on the uh, large market. That is Southern California, as well as the direct contact I've had with many fans in California asking me to come do Southern California. Um, of course, this could be fool's gold. This could be like my Boston show where the most vocal people, you know, not the people who are like, yay, you're coming to Boston and got my tickets. Love those people. The people who are like, you've got to come to Boston. You've got to come to Boston. Please come to Boston. You must come to Boston. Did you come to the show? Mm, couldn't. <laughs> So I don't think I have a lot of those. I mean, there'll be those people in every city, but I, I, I trust uh, I trust black women and I trust my fans in Southern California, woke, um, to come to the show. So I just said to the person, like, I'm not looking to come across the country <laughs> to travel across the country to be like, oh, looks like I only sold 19 tickets. Well, we're all fucked then. Obviously, I have some degree of confidence um, that, that it would go well. 
And that would be the anchor show I'm looking for. Like, in other words, if I get either a weekend in the small room or uh, one night in the big room, that's the anchor I'm looking for. Because then if I say, okay, January 10th, I'm at Flappers in Burbank, everybody get your tickets, spread the word, let's do this. Then I can pursue a venue in San Francisco, um, you know, or thereabouts, Northern California, and just take the trip up there and do a show there. And even if it's a break-even trip, I, I feel... I'm not looking to lose money, that's for sure. But if, if I even break even, first of all, it's a vacation, a working vacation in sunny California. Um, but, you know, I'm, I am very grateful for all the fans that I've developed um, over this time. Uh, it was a long time coming for me, but uh, you, must, you must understand when you, when you are eternally frustrated, when you are frustrated for most of your adult life with, your, with the... the uh, disrespect your comedy career has been shown and, and the good work you've put, put out. Uh, as much as I'm like, it's about time. I'm also like very grateful to real fans who do not know me other than from my comedy, who've, who've been supportive and, and, and put their money and their time into supporting the various things that I do. So I do want to get out and see and meet and hang and perform for my fans in California and, and, and Washington uh, state. And, and, you know, that's, that's important to me. And obviously, if it ends up being financially lucrative or, or, or helping me in terms of being able to showcase, hey, look, I was able to draw in LA, I was able to draw in Seattle or, or Spokane, etc. I was able to draw in San Francisco, those will only help me. But even if they don't, it would be it, it would it would be my pleasure and 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 the least I could do to come and and do live shows for people who've who've supported me. So I'm hoping that Flappers gets back to me this week. But I basically was just like, I sold 150 tickets on a Monday night in Boston. I'm not from Boston. I'm not a Boston native. So it wasn't like some homecoming show that I'm like juicing the numbers with. So if I can do that on a Monday night, I'm pretty sure in a much larger market on a Friday night or a Saturday night or a Thursday night, I do even better. So we'll see. But like I said, that's all I can do. All I can do is be like, I've done good work. I have a lot of fans. I've worked your club before, granted for like guest spots and cheap, cheap pay. But, you know, this is it. Like if this doesn't, if this doesn't work, then there's nothing really to do, um, unfortunately. And that's when people ask me, you know, somebody, of course, did my favorite thing where it was like, I'll be in Greensboro and I'll be in Raleigh. And they were like, not Charlotte? And I was like, no, I left. I will be in Charlotte. I just decided to leave out, you know, the capital city of the fucking state or the biggest city in the state. I decided to leave that out. That's like a surprise and a secret. <laughs> it's like I'm doing, okay, obviously not Charlotte. Obviously not. I actually asked uh, a club in Charlotte and, and they offered me instead Greensboro. So I said, I'll take it. I wouldn't have taken the Greensboro gig but for it's a month and a half before I'm recording the biggest special of my life. So all reps, all I'm contacting as many people as I can just to get reps. It's the only time that I will undersell myself because there is a greater good, which is producing a special that I hope can further enhance uh, and improve the trajectory of my career. So pride, the only time my pride goes out the window is when I'm preparing for something super important. Then it's about getting reps and stage time, not about my value or my worth. If all goes well, which it probably won't, my value and worth will be, uh, to quote, uh, uh, was it Goodfellas? Fuck you, pay me. <laughs> That's when my, I'll have my worth. And if this special turns out to be what I want, and uh, my, you know, my TV appearance on cable in, in the spring turns, uh, 
becomes the big break I need to become the next Daniel Day-Lewis, then I'm going to, you know, politely, um, politely approach clubs and say, uh, I will ruin you if you don't pay me what I'm worth. But uh, for not, not afraid of issuing <laughs> empty threats to comedy clubs. Um, so that's where it stands with the touring. So like I said, you got a relative, a friend, a coworker who likes me, who's in one of those cities, please send them a ticket link. All links are on my, on my website calendar. Um, yeah, I know I, I'm a broken record, but it's like, unfortunately, until you get a manager and agent relationships with clubs that respect you and, uh, you know, a publicist and, uh, blah, blah, blah. 25% of my career, you know, 75% is pumping out uh, uh, ungodly amounts of free, varied comedy content. And the other 25% is, please, the few times I ask you to pay and spread the word, please do it. And then Twitter, uh, you know, uh, Twitter tells, you know, shuts down my account and uh, that's it. And uh, instead of reaching 200,000 people per tweet, I reach uh, 14,000 people per tweet. So as you can see, those are not good numbers, and I will never probably get an answer to this. Um, and it's unfortunate, but hopefully uh, I applied to get verified again on Twitter, and I'm sure they'll reject me again. Um, the first rejection was hilarious, though. It was like, I'm a comedian. Well, send us three, at least three articles from national publications uh, in the last six months. I sent them four. And in case you're wondering, yes, I think the Washington Post, the LA Times, the Daily Beast, and the Newark Star-Ledger count as major publications. Um, and they just said, you don't meet our criteria. And I was like, but I do. You gave me the criteria. I just met it. I've got 30 million views on your site in a year. I've got 146,000 now down to 137,000. Thank you, algorithm. And, uh, and four national publications with large feature pieces on me. Now, then what else? The, the question would be like, well, then since I don't meet since I do meet the criteria that you laid out, but you tell me I don't, I guess you just want me to give up Twitter? Okay. And that's, that's you know, it's weird. It's weird continually being frustrated about this because um, obviously this is why the special is so important to me because, hey, maybe it blows up and I don't need to be like reliant on Twitter. Maybe all of a sudden 100,000 people start following me on Instagram and... 20,000 people sign up for my monthly newsletter and, uh, you know, another 100,000 subscribers to YouTube. And then I just go, oh, good. Twitter, you are no longer the master of my career. You are just a, you're a side piece um, that I, you know, call uh, on Saturday at 11 when I'm a little drunk and I fucking give you some, give you some, some hot late night drunken tweets and I don't have to wifey you up anymore and I don't have to, uh, you know, kiss your ass. <laughs> but anyway, those are the dates coming up. Uh, um, like I said, hoping to add more LA, Salt Lake City. So anybody out there, and I know you guys, I'm always preaching to you, but anybody who listens to this podcast is clearly the, the Covan choir. Like you guys are more invested and interested in what I'm doing than the average fan. Um, so I feel like it's probably a little redundant to hammer this home with you, but you know, uh, Somebody's got to listen to me gripe once in a while, and I'm glad that it's you guys. So North Carolina, North Carolina, Philly, Long Island, New York City, and then keep your eyes out for Salt Lake City and uh, Los Angeles. And then once I get that Los Angeles gig locked in, then I'm just going to be pursuing maybe an independent venue in Northern California. Uh, I have somebody, a fan, was very kind enough to get me uh, info from a club, I think, near Spokane. 
and uh, that would what, that would have me. So you know that could be that could be the trip. Maybe I swing through through Portland and do a night there. Um, but you know, it would be the kind of thing I can't do till twenty twenty two when my vacation resets at work. Um, that's right. I still have a day job because shockingly, uh, as hard as it is to believe, I, I have uh, so little faith in the comedy industry and the comedy business that um, I continue to work two jobs and uh, exhaust myself. Anyway. Uh, that's the update on gigs. So once again, thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. Uh, you guys are, uh, you know, the hardest of the hardcore, I think in terms of my fans. So there, that's it on uh, better news. As of this morning, I am down 32 pounds in, uh, I guess it's been like two months and three days. Um, it's been two months and three days. Since I was fucking super fat. Uh, <laughs> a little nothing compares to you, a diet version. Um, I see, I that's the I can't, I feel like I'd be doing such a disservice to Sinead O'Connor or Prince. Don't forget black women. Um, that was a joke. Prince was very feminine, but uh, I probably misgendered him there and now I'm hateful. Uh, but uh, I don't want to continue singing that song because I guess can't do it justice the way Sinead O'Connor did. But you get what I was doing. I was doing a nothing compares to my gut. But uh, yeah, 32 pounds down. Not with any extreme shit, though I will tell you in October, I will probably go hardcore keto um, just, just, just to look as, as decent as possible on camera. Um, my, my goal weight is 235. So do the math. I have 50 pounds to lose. Now I'm 6'7". So when I walk into a room at 6'7", 285, it doesn't necessarily offend the sensibilities of people. They're like, look at that big guy. At 317, which was where I was when I started this diet, um, I was, uh, what scared me is that the day before, and this will tell you how much like water my body can consume while I sleep, but I, was, I went to the Cheesecake Factory in a movie with my nephew. This is the famous day where I posted on Facebook. I fat shamed myself. I didn't include the number, but it was 324. I have never seen that number on a scale. 315, 317 was the heaviest I'd been years ago. And that was actually during a phase where I was eating badly, but still lifting a lot of weights. So there was more muscle involved. It was more like I had turned into JL the power lifter than JL the saggy sack of shit doing videos in his apartment. So... It was not as alarming then, but it was alarming. And then I just, con you know, that was 2012 uh, during a period of, uh, 2012, 2013 was a period of, of great creativity for me and deep personal misery. And um, <laughs> like three nights a week, just to give you, three nights a week, I didn't, I didn't have a job, but I was at the end of spending my money um, uh, uh, that I had saved up Couldn't, when I was like, I'm just going to, so basically here we go. Quick, quick recap of my life for people who are new fans. Um, 2008, uh, at the encouragement of a, uh, an ex that was currently my current, uh, I took a job, I left the DA's office, took a job at a law firm, got a lot of money, but it was also a very time demanding job, which basically spelled sort of the end of prioritizing my comedy career. Even though I just made my late night television debut, I was in a very bizarre place where I think I needed conflict in my life. Um, because everything else was going so well. I had Amer I, I was built like Christian Bale in American Psycho. I just made my debut on late night television. Um, and uh, just 
everything seemed like I was making more money than I'd ever made in my life as an associate at a, at a firm. So I was like, okay, cool. And then uh, that relationship ended. And uh, if you want to hear the PG-13 version of it, uh, I suggest you stream or purchase my second album, Diamond Maker, which uh, many people can recognize as a turn in my comedy career. Because when you go through a trauma, I, I had lived a relatively charmed life, uh, you know, excusing any sort of uh, childhood uh, traumas or, or, or hostilities in, in my house. Um, pretty good life. I was a very, me and my brother were both very good kids, well-behaved, did well in school, etc. Um, so, but for some reason I felt like I needed conflict. My life was like in a place where it was so good that I felt like I allowed a relationship that was, uh, deeply troubling, uh, and flawed to say the least to just exist. And it gave me a place of comfort because I was like, Oh good. Well, this is where I'll put all that. Like I've said before, uh, wasn't happy, but I was comfortable. And so, that relationship then ended, and uh, I had money as well as a, a ring that the person was nice enough who sold it to me to give me full value back for. So I had money in the bank, a late night credit that wasn't too stale. I looked good, I felt good. I said, "Well, you know what? This is maybe a sign." You know what? You tra- as the ca- the Catholic in me was trying to you know say, "You know what? I don't think I want to get another law job right now. I think I'm going to just fucking start doing the road." I'm really funny. I'm really good. And, and this is the time. This is the time to make shit happen. Fast forward three years later, I am uh, almost broke and doing part-time work in my mom's office because I still didn't want to get back into the legal work. I felt like that would be a complete surrender of my mission. But it was very, it's very weird to be doing part-time clerical work in your mom's office when you are a uh, comedian that's been on TV and you have a Georgetown law degree and a Williams College diploma. That's, it's, it's, I was in, in sports when they have like uh, player efficiency ratings or, or advanced metrics on people's stats. I was the worst in the league. I was doing the least with the most. <laughs> but in that time, I had gained a lot of weight. Now, I was still going to the gym lifting, but every day was sort of like, you know what? I'm going to watch the entire West Wing in the next seven weeks while eating a hot dog and fries and milkshakes from Good Burger because tomorrow I'm going to start really getting ripped and I'm going to reclaim uh, my, my, my physique and my health. And this is, it's game over for everybody, man. And once, once I get back on track, game over, okay? But I didn't get back on track. But... Uh, I ended a, a, a good relationship in 2012, and that moment, that next year and a half was a very bizarre year. Um, I don't need to chronicle it all, but it was, I think it was a time where I was just, my deep unhappiness with some decisions I had made were being covered by fun, let me put it, say it this way, fun relationships and gluttony in terms of my eating and video games and uh, binging series and right. But that, but at the same time as my health mentally and physically was eroding like to levels that were frightening, I was writing the best shit of my life. And then that led to keep my enemies closer, my 2013 album, which was just a fucking that. And that's when I th- said to myself, I, I did it. I fucking made it like 
the work is undeniable. Like I was like, this is a great, great, great album. And then I went viral in my Louis C.K. video. So 2013 was this year. I was like, oh, hell yeah. I, so what if I'm fat? Maybe this is my biggie phase. Maybe <laughs> Instead of going LL Cool J with the fitness and the sensitivity, this is just my biggie phase. I'm a fat, lyrical genius. And nothing really popped from there. So then I started doing uh, part-time legal work. I was like, okay. I gave it my best shot. I fucking... I went viral. I had meetings with managers who weren't, who didn't want to sign me, I, which is somehow better than where I am now, which is where I can't get meetings with managers. And then I just started doing part-time work, but I, I couldn't quit comedy. So between 2013, actually between 2012 and 2018, I put out four albums in a, in a six, six and a half year stretch. And I'm just really fucking proud of that work. And every time, though, that I tried to get back in shape, um, it started, I think, in 2011. I got plantar fasciitis. I, was, I lost like 30 pounds. So I had gone to like in the 270s, and then I got, my, my foot got fucking jacked up. Um, back and forth injuries, 2018 was the big one because that was the lightest I've been in like the last six years. I got down to like 263, and it was like, June. So I had the whole summer to run. And I knew, I knew then I was like, Oh shit, I'm starting to look good. I had done paleo dieting a little bit. So I had seen the difference, more muscle, losing weight, starting to resemble, like, in other words, I just said, Oh yeah, I'm close. I'm close. I'm going to get there soon. And then I had a spinal injury, um, that was like a cervical spine injury that was like fucking to this day is still fucking with me with the nerves and the strength in, in the left side of my upper body with like certain exercises. But, you know, so the weight kept going up and then COVID hit and I was running and I felt actually confident that it was going to happen. And then my knee started, I started, I, my, my left knee basically gave out. It fucking kills me. Even when I walk like four miles a day, by the end of those walks, my knee, my left knee is often killing me. Um, so that's my goal is to lose more weight. And while I still have this good insurance, uh, get my knees looked at. And if I need surgery, so be it. I'd rather feel better. I'd rather go under the knife and feel better at this point than just be like, I don't want surgery. So I then got to the heaviest I've ever been because um, I was not going to the gym. I probably worked out like from from the shutdown, from the time we got shut down in March to this June, I probably worked out less than 15 times in that 14, 14 and a half month stretch. Not good. But I certainly uh, ate a ton of junk food. And I was really stressed uh, with comedy and work and everything that was going on. So when I got home that day, that fateful day in June, late June 2021, and stepped on the scale after eating movie snacks and a big slice of uh, cheesecake from the Cheesecake Factory, I saw 324 and the person I actually thought of, oddly enough, not to, this isn't to make it like I have a connection with, but I thought of Patrice O'Neill, who I remember working with, real big guy, um, big gut, which is always the dangerous sort of uh, uh, health warning. And I remember when we were sitting in the green room the second time I worked with him and he was eating like carrots and celery with some blue cheese or whatever. And he was just like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm diabetes. I got I got I had to change my shit. And... um. You know, 
few months after we worked together that last time, he had a stroke, which would have eventually kill him, and he was 41 years old. And two of my favorite comedians, Greg Giraldo died at 44, albeit of drug issues, which I don't have, thank God. Um, and Patrice died at 41. So I've out, I'm older than Patrice, but I looked at myself in the mirror. I said, 324. Um, and I was like, you can't, I could no longer pretend like, oh, I'm tall. I just look big. I looked fat. Like I, like I now, and the problem is when you're 6'7", if you look fat at 6'7", you are fucking fat. Like it happened throughout my, the 2010s where I'd show up to an open mic and hadn't seen a friend in a while. And it was like, oh, I'd gone from like 245 to 270 but it spread out. So it just looked like I'd gotten thicker. Like I was just lifting more weights and people were like, dude, you've been lifting. And I was like, no cook. This is a joke on keeping this closer, but I was like, no, all natural, just cookies and sloth is really my recipe to looking big and intimidating. But 324 was just like a, oh, you like your gut is like, even when you wear like a baggy flannel shirt, you, you, you look like a fucking mess, but it wasn't even the look at that point. It was that number 324. I said, Hey, Patrice was trying to change his diet. At least I could, as far as I could see, I don't know what he did in his full life. But you know what? If he's at a, 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 a comedy club that serves mostly bar food and he's making an effort, he was making an effort. And it was obviously, sadly, too late. I guess thing, unless, you know, things were obviously biologically in, in motion for him. And I just thought to myself, if I don't stop now, if I don't fucking stop right now, it might already be too late. So I better stop now and hope that it's not too late. Um, because I joke about this, but at six, seven, even as, unless I'm like, you know, at six, seven, I already feel like, you know, I joke about this. I'm like, we got Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and fucking Bill Walton and Bill Russell. Other than that, I don't see any like six, eight plus dudes just roaming the earth at 80 or 90 years old. So I just, it just was enough for me to go, okay, all my stress, it, it was, it created a new level of stress where the stress of dying early or having a stroke or destroying my knees to the point where they get, need to get replaced was enough. That stress was greater than any of the stresses that were causing me to want to live in snack foods. So I got my shit together, I guess, and just said, uh, it's got to stop. And, uh, you know, since then, like I said, in just over two months, I've lost 32 pounds. I think it's a healthy pace because obviously the pace will probably slow down though. I will be doing some keto for like a month before, uh, the special taping just cause you know, it's TV. That's, that's a cosmetic choice, not a health choice, but it's not going to certainly be unhealthy for me. Um, I'm not going to starve myself or anything, but, uh, you know, like I said, but the goal is April 1st to be 235, and, uh, and then to just keep that and to, to maintain good habits. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where I'm at, I guess. But it was, uh, the stress of dying was enough to overcome any other stress that was causing me to eat badly. So, um, yeah, we'll just keep at that. That's your update on the JL weight loss journey. But it's one of those things also, when I say 235, uh, my vanity need, feels the need to let everybody know that like, this isn't me going at 235, I'll be a healthy weight. And fe- no, at 235, I'll be fucking ripped again. <laughs> like there's a little vanity in here. Like when people think like he's got to lose 50 pounds, no, to be normal looking and for people to go, Hey, you don't have a double chin anymore. And Hey, you look good. I could be like 255, 260. And people would probably, most people would probably be like, Hey, looking good. 
235 is for me. That's fucking veins in the arms, shirt sleeves hugging, thin waist, flexing in a mirror when I fuck. You know, real American psycho shit. And <laughs> so um, sometimes, but I choose to leave that out of social media. This is just for you guys. But like, yeah, when people, when, when I write, I need to lose 50 pounds. I don't need to lose 50 pounds. I need to lose another like 25 to 30. I want to lose another 50. So that's the difference. And that's been uh, a little bit of ego check. So you don't think I'm just some humble fat fuck sitting here podcasting. Okay. Not afraid to turn his back on the fat community that he's been part of for the last couple of years. Um, and I wonder, can I then do fat jokes? Will I be able to just shit on fat people? Because on Keep My Enemies Closer, I do a bunch of fat jokes, but it was like, I am, I am fat, so therefore I'm a member of the fat community. I can use that word. That's our word. Fat is our word. Um, but if I get out of there, um, am I like seen as like a Larry Elder or a Stacey Dash, like betraying the fat community? Um, or do I now have license to abuse the fat community once I've lost all that weight? These are the questions I want answered, folks. Leave your comments on Podomatic. Um, okay. This week, by the way, I'll be on uh, two, my two, my two, uh, my, my biracial podcast fathers, uh, the black guy who tips and with, uh, and stand up with Pete Dominic. Uh, so, um, I recommend both of those shows, uh, to my listeners, uh, both great shows, both great people. Well, both uh, black guy who tips is the guy in that is Rod, but uh, his wife is, is the co-host. So three people who've, uh, as I always say, uh, they were the ICU for my comedy career. Um, during some of those fat times when I was struggling to book work, et cetera, they, they opened their podcast doors to me and allowed me to, uh, to, to get um, their fans supporting me. So support them, the black guy who tips, uh, and, and uh, stand up with Pete Dominic on all podcast platforms. Um, but I will be on both of those shows this week. And I guess we should just get, to, I didn't, I didn't know, I wasn't sure what I, I just wrote, wrote down weight loss, but I didn't realize that was going to be the crux of the episode, but, uh, not afraid of doing a Weight Watchers infomercial, but it feels, I will say this, it feels good. My mom, who's not full of compliments said I looked good when I came in, but I was like, yeah, but a decade ago, this would have been the shitty version of me, but it's good. It's good to feel complimented. Um, and uh, had a good visit with my mom. She's uh, still very sad. It's, a, it's, a, it's tough being my mom, I think, because she's at this point in her life. And I think COVID, you know, COVID uh, quarantining, et cetera, really was, she lost her younger brother, her last remaining relative from her, you know, her maiden name family. And uh, during COVID, not to COVID, to leukemia, but uh, my uncle and... Mm. Um, she lost her job after 42 years, which is a good thing. It lost her job. I don't want to make it sound like she worked in a factory. She had a f fairly white collar job that, that uh, she'd worked really hard at, but I think it was just losing that, losing her brother, and then losing her freedom, her freedom to go outside and be free and free in this free country uh, was a lot for her in terms of how she's lived her life. And I, it was, it was a, I had a sad conversation with her, but I tried to cheer her up. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's difficult. Uh, uh, and she told me never to put her in a nursing home because, uh, she, uh, well, she said something that was very macabre, but, uh, she was basically like, they'll take all the money that I've earned over my lifetime. 
like they'll 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 pay they'll use that to to pay those exorbitant nursing home bills and I was like uh okay um don't worry I saw the father I will do everything I can not to put you in a nursing home by the way the father Anthony Hopkins incredible movie if you haven't seen it um but I worked on my mom's Netflix list for her yesterday she find she got my brother hooked her up with Netflix and uh so she's got more content to watch that's good, I guess. But uh, hopefully things can get back to normal. I hope they don't get worse. Because um, I'm not in a position. I'm, I'm one of those people that like, I can't do the MBA dream of like, I bought my mom a house, but I'm like, but maybe I could buy a house and give my mom a wing of it, maybe. But I, you know, I would need another year or two, like last year to feel very safe doing that. But uh, it's tough. My mom's the toughest fucking person I know. But it's, you get to the end of the journey. And her toughness is in like the Willie Mays at the end of his career. It's like, you know, this person was great, but it is a lot, you know, sometimes you just don't have it anymore. And it's, it's been very trying as it's been trying on a lot of people, but it was a more pleasant visit than I usually have with my mom. So that's good. And I think, uh, the fact that she's talking to somebody in the therapeutic space, I think is helping. Uh, so there, there's a lesson to everybody. It's never too late to try and help yourself do some self care as we like to say. We don't like to say that. I hate that fucking phrase, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, not a fr- <laughs> is, is Ron Reagan becoming a crutch for me? It just feels, I, I've, like I said, Ron Reagan Jr. is, my Ed, is my, the Ed McMahon living in my head for my Tonight Show. But uh, for you kids, that's the Kevin Eubanks or the uh, Roots. I don't know who does the fucking talking for The Roots on The Tonight Show because I don't watch The Tonight Show. And I think if you're a long-time listener to this podcast, you know exactly why. Media hold for four days, late Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. How about never going on your show if I become a global superstar? How about that? So all I have to do to get my revenge, folks, is become a global superstar and then publicly reject an offer from The Tonight Show. So we'll see what happens. Um, See, most people try to talk good things into existence. I only talk good things into existence so I can do worse things. <laughs> the reverse secret. Um, some recommendations, and then let's get you, let you get on with your fucking week, shall we? Um, come on, landline phone. Why are you bothering me right now? Um, anyway, guys, that's the landline. I'm old school. I like to talk on a landline phone when I'm making important phone calls. The cell phone is, uh, you know, trying to give me brain cancer or something. Who is this? Is it my mom? Oh. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a lawyer contacting, a lawyer message contacting me if I've taken Zantex. Um, I maybe, I've never taken Zantex, but... It says I can get major financial compensation if I fucking say I did. So maybe that's my new career move, lying about medications. Not afraid of grifting the system. Anyway, guys, when this motherfucker shuts up, I will give you my recommendations for the week. Um, fuck off, dude. This, I le- this is a, the one thing I hate with these robocalls. I don't even mind getting them. It's that they don't even recognize when they're fucking, when somebody's picked up. Like, the answering machine is the same as a human picking up. And it's like, get it together. Nobody's pressing two. You're not talking to anybody, you bitch. Anyway, recommendations. Well, I started Mayor of Easttown. I'm four episodes in. Tonight, I'm going to finish it. Um, and boy, oh boy, 
um, I joked, this was was a popular tweet on social media I posted, but um, I said that uh, forget critical race theory. This is making white people look horrible. Oh my God, everybody. It's like the grandmother, you know, Gene Smart, who's great in hacks, by the way, as I go through the Emmy shows, um, Mayor of Easttown, followed by Queen's Gambit. And if there's time, I will give Lovecraft Country another shot, okay? I'll give it another try if there's time before the Emmys. And if there's not, well, maybe I won't, okay? But uh, Mayor of Easttown, I was just like, man, Gene Smart's playing like a 63-year-old great-grandmother. Look at this white trash town. Everybody's a miserable piece of shit that had a kid at 19. And, uh, man, it is, uh, it's, it's great to see. It's great to see. And, and, and watching the show, I'm like, God, all of you fucking assholes voted for Trump. I can't help but think that. Um, but it's, uh, it's pretty good. Everybody was like, it's amazing. And I know, I'm sure it gets even better. But four episodes in, I'm like, this is good. I like it. Um, I will tell you a show that I can give an even more. And, and that said, I'm watching it. I'm enjoying it. I think it's good. I, I'm, I'm maybe on the fence about the it's great. Uh, I'm not going to give it the Tony, Ti- Tony the Tiger review just yet. But I will tell you a show that I do think is great. And that's the other two, which has found a home on HBO Max. It was a Comedy Central show that got one season, and it was great. It was really great. It's about the two like unsuccessful older siblings of a Justin Bieber type pop star. It is really good. The first season was so funny. I was like, all right, loved it. And then the first season, I think I I could be wrong, but might've been 2018 or early 2019. It's been a long, maybe it was 2019, but I definitely watched that show before I moved to New Jersey, when I moved to New Jersey in October, 2019. So the new season just started on HBO Max and the first two episodes, fucking phenomenal. It's so good to see it lost none. It it, it is the exact same show. It's just on HBO Max. So there's been no change. There's been no adjustment. Um, like it's not like, Hey, we're on HBO. So we can be even more vulgar. Like they're, 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 they're doing the smart thing to me, which is they're not fucking with a great formula, but the show, I remember I raised the show. I wrote a blog and you can find it. If you go to my blog on jlcomedy.com, if you're interested, I think it's in the JL reader, which is kind of like the things I've highlighted as sort of essential, but it was a review I wrote of Dave Chappelle's show on Broadway in, I guess, 2019. And I wrote, I really enjoyed it. I think Dave Chappelle is a phenomenal comedian, but his, in his, he did a bit and it wasn't even a bit. He was complaining to the crowd about, um, how he wanted to say the word, the F word, the homophobic slur, the full homophobic slur, slur, but he said it very loud and aggressively. He said like, and I wanted to say the word, Naga! Like he said it like with venom, almost like, look at me, I'm saying it. And he then did a whole thing where he's talking to standards and practices. And he said, and I wrote, I, I detail this. It's one of my better, I think it's one of my better things I've ever written on comedy. So I, I do recommend it. I can, I can, you know what, I'll include it in the show links to this. You know, just, I think you might enjoy it. Um, and he then said, they said, well, Dave, you can't say that word. And he said, but you let me say the N word. And the crowd clapped. 
They didn't laugh. They clapped like he was making a very good point, which he wasn't. <laughs> and it's one of those things that I feel like comedians often get too much credit. If you like a comedian or they have a nuanced take on society in many ways, that they are automatically philosophers of the highest degree. Dave Chappelle said some stupid, ignorant shit recently. Because I think he's, he's rich. He doesn't like COVID. Like, I think he's, his worldview is being a little bit shaped um, by maybe some of the company he keeps, or maybe not. But it was such a, as I said, it was such a wrong example. Like, in other words, he was saying, oh, so you'll let me say the N-word, but I can't say the F-word. And it was like, there is a reason, a very good reason why they let you be liberal with the F-word, Dave, uh, with the N-word, Dave, because you're black. Do you not get that? Or are you intentionally misleading yourself or your audience? You get to say that's what the standards, if I was in a standards in practice, I would have been like, you can say it, Dave, because you're black. You can't use homophobic slurs because you're not gay. Why is that so difficult to understand? But the audience applauded, which I found like reprehensible because it was not, they weren't laughing. They weren't like good bit. They were like, yes, Dave. And it was a lot, many black men in the audience and probably aggressive white dudes, but that were like, yes, if I can say my slur, then I should be able to say other people's slurs. And I was just like, what the fuck dumb shit? What ignorant dumb shit is this? No, I liked the whole show, but that really stood out to me. And it became, it became another thing he harped on in like a later special where it feels like he's going into that space sometimes where he wants to explore, like, he wants, he's arguing for the F word the way some white comics might argue for the N word. Now, but there is an overlap. There is a, I, th among the people who find racism abhorrent, you will find some of those people do not find homophobia as abhorrent or that the struggles dealing with racism give you a pass to allow or use homophobic language. And I thought it was the dumbest, it was so dumb, it was so disappointing because I just felt like, I, this, is, this is a basic SAT analogy that you're failing. But anyway, in the blog that I wrote, <laughs> I cite... I believe I cited the other two as a perfect counter because they use the F word a decent amount on the show. And I believe one of the two co-creators is a gay man. And I noticed another gay male comic included in sort of a writing or producing space. Like, and I recognized his name in the credits. And I thought, this is the counter to Chappelle's argument. There is not a nary a racial slur in the show, but there is some homophobic language used because this is their space. And it's a great show. It's really great. And this is for me. This isn't me going, I feel so good watching the other. It's such a nice show. It's such a ray of sun. No, it's like hilarious and critical of society. And it's really funny. So I highly recommend the other two if you need a strong comedy um, like an, uh, heavy on the comedy. It's heavy on quality and heavy on comedy. Not so heavy on good vibes. <laughs> so it's, it's the first two episodes of season two were so good because it's always a weird thing when a show gets rescued by another platform that you're like, oh God, are they going to change the formula? And it's the same fucking show. So the other two on HBO Max, 
highly recommend. Um, and it's, it's, it's the, you know, and I'll include that, that Chappelle blog in the show notes if you're interested in reading it and or sharing it. Um, and other than that, I'm still reading the Jimmy Carter biography. I got a week left. I want to finish Jimmy Carter before I take the Jimmy Connors biography with me to the U.S. Open. Because we're going to the U.S. Open for a couple of nights. This was one of my little splurges. I said, you know what, instead of commuting like a bunch of fucking savages, why don't we get a hotel in the city and do a couple of nights at the U.S. Open? A little, a little uh, not staycation, but a little... Uh, Commutecation? Is that a new one I can invent? Wow, look at me. Aren't I an upper crust New York piece of shit? Um, a commutecation. <laughs> That's so fucking gross. Watch that be used by like a, a real housewives of Cuntsville like three weeks from now. We're going on a communication. What what's that? That's my impression of Ramona and um <laughs> Princess Luann or Countess Luann. <laughs> Uh, by the way, Luann is the only one of those that I would, if I'm being totally honest, I'm like, I kind of I dig Luann. She's sort of tall. She has like a natural beauty to her, even though she's a untalented person who still is on a disgusting show. Uh, lo- low key, that's the one I'd be like, all right, I could fuck with Luann. But um, that was my impression of, of Real Housewives of New York because the righteous, the righteous GF uh, watches all those shows and – just via osmosis, I end up picking up enough shit from those uh, women. But yeah, that was my Ramona and uh, Countess Luann discussing uh, staying in a, ho- a pricey hotel while going to the U.S. Open. I like the U.S. Open. <laughs> <laughs> That's so terrible. I cannot impersonate women. I apologize. Except for Miss Piggy, um, who's not really a woman. She identifies as a piglet. Um, but yes, Jimmy Connor's biography will be next. Then I'm going to read this book that I've been meaning to read for a while about Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes, uh, who is uh, going on trial and hopefully will spend many years in jail. Uh, and if she doesn't, um, you know, men's rights activists, I think, will be able to speak up and go, so when one of our finance bros goes to jail for 20 years, it's okay, but this blonde bitch gets six months. It's fucking unfair. Men are under attack. <laughs> so... Uh, hopefully she gets, I, I hate to say hopefully she gets a lot of time in jail because I really don't want to be somebody who's like, I hope you fucking lose your fucking life and go to jail. But at the same time, it's like, well, in a fair and just society, this bitch did, you know, she cost people a lot of fucking money um, with her with her fake voice, like Vera DeMilo voice. I think we have to do better. Um, Theranos is a really good place. <laughs> Vera DeMilo, for those of you who don't know, was uh, an iconic Jim Carrey uh, female bodybuilder character on In Living Color, a show that would be canceled multiple times per episode. But my God, what a show. In Living Color, my favorite sketch show of all time. So there you go. Um, it was always fun watching that show because like Men on Film would come on or Men on whatever, the, the Damon Wayans, David Allen Greer gay characters. And we were talking and Fuego gay and um, just sitting there with my mom and my dad, and my mom would be chuckling. I would be chuckling even though I didn't get all the jokes. Um, like I got, who's our favorite football player? Dick Butkus, Bob Greasy. But I was kind of like, that's funny the way they say it. And he said, but. But I wasn't steeped in every reference. 
But boy, oh boy, my mom would be looking at me going, oh God. She'd be kind of chuckling. And my dad, uh, the Haitian man born in 1931, as I always say to people when I tell them I was like hit as a kid and certain things were said in my house, I go, yeah, I'm not sure you understand this wealthy, wealthy Jewish friend from uh, multiple generations of wealth in a liberal city. But it's a weird thing that happens when you're blue-collar mom born in 1944 and your Haitian father born in 1931, you don't get a lot of timeouts and you don't get necessarily the most politically correct parenting, as shocking as that might be. But um, yeah, my dad was not feeling that. He was, uh, he was not feeling men on film. He didn't like that on in his house. <laughs> But Vera DeMilo, the Jim Carrey female bodybuilder, uh, incredible. Incredible. This is why Jim Carrey is on my comedy Mount Rushmore. He has, I'm not sure. My comedy Mount Rushmore is very simple, folks. It's Chris Rock, my favorite stand-up comedian of all time and producer of my favorite stand-up special of all time, Bring the Pain. Uh, It's Jim Carrey the greatest of my life. I know there'll be Eddie Murphy fans, but for me, sketch movie comedy actor, the best, the number one. And if you like Eddie Murphy, if you prefer Eddie Murphy, that's, that's probably number two, even though I'm not as big a fan. That's for me, that's one, two in my lifetime. And if you have Eddie Murphy ahead of Jim Carrey, perfectly reasonable, saved SNL and the biggest movie star of the 1980s, Jim Carrey, the star of in living color and biggest comedy star of the 1990s. So they both have very similar resumes and are both legends. But Jim Carrey goes on there. Just think he's, I mean, just think he's the, he's the fucking greatest. Um, third, which is sort of the, 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 the sneaky one people wouldn't expect, Jack Black. Because Jack Black is that person who makes me like happy when he shows up in shit. Um, and it doesn't hurt that School of Rock is one of my 10 favorite movies ever. Um, that Kung Fu Panda is one of my favorite animated movies ever. Uh, and that, uh, I enjoy some of Tenacious D's musical work. So I, I, I think that Jack Black is just, he's, it's a different sort of vibe, but he's just somebody that I would like, he's the type of person, like if I could, if I could, if I could work with anybody on a movie, assuming that they're all nice people, hardworking, fun to be around. Like Jack Black is the type of person I'd be like, I want to, I want to do a movie where Jack Black plays my best friend or I play his best friend. And then my fourth person on my comedy Mount Rushmore is a, a comedian many of you are familiar with, J.L. Covan. That's right. I'm on my own Mount Rushmore. What the fuck do you think I'm doing this for? <laughs> you think I'm doing this because I don't like my comedy? <laughs> so there it is. There's my Mount Rushmore. Chris Rock, Jim Carrey, Jack Black, J.L. Covan. Um, one and a half black people, by the way, representation matters. Okay. Um, as far as women, I could do a ladies Mount Rushmore, but like, who gives a fuck about that? But, um, who would be on my ladies Mount Rushmore? Oh, you know what? Probably somebody who, who, if I kicked myself off to be fair, I would put Tina Fey on my comedy Mount Rushmore. 30 rock. I don't even like her SNL work as head writer. No, no offense, but I just wasn't a big fan of, of, of SNL in that era. But still impressive resume to be, uh, what, first female head writer of SNL, I think. Uh, Kimmy Schmidt, amazing. Uh, just just an incredibly f- talented person. 
Um, and no small thing, incredible calves, which as if anybody's listened to this show long enough, um, calves are breasts are the keg beer in a man's life. Okay. They're great. They're amazing. And when you're, when you're a little more immature, it's your favorite fucking thing. Cause you're like, yes, beer equals breasts in a man's life. I think then when you start your career, maybe you become more of an ass toned fitness sort of person. Maybe you start working, working your way down and go, okay, well now I'm thinking, fa-. and that's kind of your, your, your happy hour mixed drinks. You're with more sophisticated company. You're thinking about uh, 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 a different, you've moved down to a more mature uh, taste. Um, but to me, a true connoisseur, a sommelier, loves the calves. And as I've said, calves, I love, I love all parts. All parts matter. But the calves are the, un, the, uh, the unsung hero of a woman. Because if, if a woman has great calves, it tells you two, one of two things. Great genetics or great work ethic. And either of those are important to have in a, in a partner, in a mate. <laughs> so, yeah, um, there it is. That's, that's, uh, that's why Tina Fey, um, you know, if Tina Fey were, were, were uh, single and in my circle... I think Righteous Girlfriend would be rightfully terrified because I'd be like, um, I don't know. This is kind of like a Johnny Cash, June Carter type thing. Okay. So I'm not trying to like disrespect you, but like, you know, write the line is going to be a, a movie about me and Tina Fey writing a comedy script together, um, based loosely off walk the line. And I'm sorry that I just explained that to you. You should have known listeners that write the line was a parody of walk the line, but I've been scarred recently by my joke about my dog, Cookie, growing up in racist Kentucky, fearing black men, having a gay Indian dog walker, you know? So the joke being there that she, you know, we're going to write a script called Green Bark uh, about this unlikely pairing leading to more understanding and uh, togetherness. And nobody gets that that's a joke on Green Book, which literally won Best Picture the last time we were allowed to go out in public in Late winter, early spring of 2019, Green Book won Best Picture. So I was literally like, that's not ancient history. That's not a, that's not a pun on Apocalypse Now or uh, Yankee Doodle Dandy or Citizen Kane. That's a pun on the last movie we were allowed to go out and see in public, people. Um, so Green Bark doesn't get the laughs, and I may have to abandon it, which is disappointing because I'm proud of it. I'm proud of that like little turn of phrase, but people don't get it. So uh, I was scarred by that, and that's why I explained "write the line" being a parody of "walk the line." But, but uh, you know, if I'm in a, if I'm in a room writing a script with with Tina Cavs Fay, I I can't be held responsible. I mean, obviously I can be criminally, but you know what I'm saying. If we're both single and we and those sparks start flying, well, neither. No, I should say if she's single and I'm Johnny Cash, you can't hold that against me. <laughs> Not afraid of mixing metaphors. Um, but yeah, so Tina Fey could get on there uh, as the first alternate if I decide to uh, uh, generously give up my spot on Comedy Mount Rushmore. She could be the woman's spot. But if there was an all-women's humor uh, Mount Rushmore, T- 
Tina Fey gets the George Washington spot. I think Sarah Silverman has to get on there. Um, you know what? I think I'd probably put Nikki Glaser up there. And a uh, big fan of her. And uh, who else? Any suggestions? That's all. I, I, there's only three funny women in the world, as far as I can remember. So sorry, I can't come up with a fourth. I apologize. But uh, I'm not, I'm not going to pander and pretend like there's a fourth funny woman out there. I, I'm sorry. Um, I would. Uh, if I could find it. But, you know, I, I respect women too much to pander and pretend like there's a fourth funny woman in the world. So that's called integrity, folks. Okay? Why don't you try it? Um, <laughs> God, I hope some people get that I'm joking, sort of. I just feel like there's always like 10% of the audience who's going, I did not like what you said about women comics. <laughs> Who else am I thinking of? A young s'more, I know this is becoming kind of sexist and objectifying, but a young s'more would definitely get on there. Um, who else? <laughs> I'll tell you who's very talented, who does some comedy, Rose Byrne. She can do it all, can't she? And she's married to Bobby Cannavale. So if Rose Byrne were more my type, I don't know, maybe I'd have a shot. She'd be like, I like my men angry with thick eyebrows and partially people of color. Because Bobby Cannavale is Italian and Colombian. And he yells a lot in his movies and he's got thick eyebrows. Secret, that's who I would envision playing me in a movie. Just so then people would go, J.L. Covan was... That's, that's finally when the, the woke folks would come to my aid and go, J.L. Covan was half Haitian and yet... Bobby Cannavale, who's only half Colombian, half Italian, is playing him. This is the whitening of J.O. Covan. And then I would have to come out and go, have you seen me? I'm pretty Blanco for a half black dude. And Bobby Cannavale, skin tone, fairly similar. So I'm fine with it. And then people would cancel me for whitewashing my own biopic, uh, even though we would be the same skin tone. So uh, there, not afraid of anticipating his own self-cancellation. Uh, this has been fun for me. I don't know if it's been fun for you, but I hope it has been. This was everything. You got my weight loss journey. You got me objectifying women in comedy. You got a way too detailed uh, scenario of me uh, eloping with Tina Fey at some point, breaking hearts. And uh, yeah, this was fun for me. So I hope it was fun for you. Uh, but as always, uh, you know, give this show five stars if you can. If you haven't already, just go to Apple and give it five stars. Uh, please listen to Making Podcasts Great Again. We've got some great new sponsors. I've been doing some, some sponsorship content there. So that's the more support that show gets, the, the more money I can make without costing you any money. Uh, might as well say it. Hey, go to buyraycon.com slash MPGA for a discount on some already very affordable quality earbuds wireless earbuds from, from Raycon. They are our new sponsor. They don't sponsor this podcast, but I'm not afraid of giving them a little free taste on the righteous prick. So buy Raycon.com slash MPGA. Uh, if you need, if you're in the, if you're in the market for some new affordable quality wireless earbuds and you get a little extra discount, if you go to buy Raycon.com slash MPGA. Um, yeah, but right now, Huge shows. That's all I can tell you. And I thank you for your support. You guys are obviously the best of the best when it comes to my fans because you care what I sound like when I'm not talking like other people. So have a great week. If you haven't been vaccinated yet, please go get vaccinated for crying out loud. I, it's never too late to do the right thing. Isn't that somebody? Somebody said that, I think. That's a quote from somebody. But it's never too late. You know, 
today's the right day to go get vaccinated if you've been hesitant, okay? You may get some shit, but you won't get shit from me. If you go today, you're doing the right thing. So if anybody out there is vaccine hesitant or hasn't gotten it yet or hasn't made time, go make time. And uh, it'll be a, it's a good thing for everybody. So thanks for listening. Thank you for all your support and all the ways you do support me. Uh, it means the world to me. I know I'm always so miserable sounding, but, but seriously, um, you remember, it's just, it's, 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 it really means a lot to me to still have like a nice fan base um, and that you're sticking with me. So thank you. Be safe, be healthy, have a good week, and I will see you next Tuesday.